0: Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. You're listening to the Wijha Initiative podcast. These podcast episodes are recordings of our past events that we hold in person on a weekly basis. We hope that by listening to the podcast you'll be inspired to join us at an event. To keep up with our work, please follow us on Instagram. Muhammad <laughs> ma وَزِدْنَا عِلْمًا وَعَمَلًا يَا رَبَّ الْعَالَمِينَ أَمَّا بَعْدٍ So, if you've been able to join us for the past uh, few weeks, not last week, but before that, we were covering the topics in a book called With the Heart and Mind by Sheikh Mikhail Smith. And uh, two weeks ago, we finished off discussing the importance of being present in life, being mindful, you know, living in the moment. Like what, what tense are you living in right now? The past tense? Are you living in the past, constantly thinking about the past? Are you always worried about the future? Or are you able to live in the moment? Are you able to focus your attention uh, to the person that you're talking to? Right? Sometimes, think about it. Sometimes we'll be talking to somebody and our mind is thinking about... Once I'm done talking, I need to go home and do this. And our mind is actually totally elsewhere. We're not even present in that conversation. Now, if someone notices that, how do you think it makes them feel? Right? So a lack of mindfulness, a a lack of presence in the moment, affects our relationships. You can be physically present, but mentally totally absent. It's very possible. A very common example of that is when you're on your phone. You could be sitting in front of somebody, but you're not there. They're talking to you and you totally miss what they say. Do you get what I'm saying? The importance of being present with somebody. And that has religious consequences. Imagine that somebody that you're communicating with is Allah. That you're standing in front of Allah, you're physically present in front of Allah, but your mind's not there. How would you feel when somebody stands in front of you and is thinking of something totally different? Can't wait to finish talking to you. We don't feel good. And so every time we stand before Allah, what's our state? Are we able to be present? And, then, and I want to make a point here. Sometimes we think our lack of presence in prayer is purely a spiritual problem. Do you know what I mean? My iman must be weak, that's why I can't focus in my prayer. And definitely, there will be some element of Iman that needs to be worked on. But it could be very psychological as well. If psychologically you can't focus, just you can't focus on anything. You just can't be present in anything. How do you expect to be present in prayer? Do you understand? When your mind is in the habit of wandering, jumping, and, and I don't want to go on a whole tangent about the effect of algorithms on our minds and... 10 second videos and all that, I don't want to go on a whole tangent about that, but you know, there is this idea that if you can't focus on anything, you will not be able to focus on something even spiritual. Does that make sense? So that leads us to the question of how can we develop the ability to be mindful, to be present, to be aware in the moment? Sound is a bit the echo. Okay, let me see how it goes. So I wanna I wanna introduce you to an idea here. And you guys can think about it and look into it a little bit more. Is it better like this? There was a lot of echo. Did you not hear that? Is this better? Are we good? Yeah, it's not okay. Let's let's do that, inshallah. So I wanna share with you an idea about awareness. There's a researcher by the name of uh, Dan Siegel. Um, and he wrote a book called Aware. In it, he introduces this idea of the wheel of awareness. Um, but first, I want to start off with just a metaphor that he gives about awareness, and its effect on, on you and your, and your lived experience. So he says, imagine, Imagine your awareness and your presence in any given moment is very limited. Do you get what I'm saying? For example, the only thing you're aware of is your job. So from the morning to evening, the vast majority of your time goes into thinking about your job. Before work, you're thinking about what I'm gonna do at work. When you're at work, you're busy in work. When you finish work, you're still thinking about what happened at work. And your focus in your life is pretty much on your work. So he gives a metaphor that imagine, imagine we were to compare your awareness level to like some water. Let's say your focus on just your job. Let's say that's equal to 30 milliliters of water. I know you're thinking like, what the heck, water, job? Just, just, just bear with me, okay? We're going somewhere, inshallah. Imagine that's 30, 30 uh, milliliters of water. It's not a lot of water. And imagine you put like a pinch of salt into that water. Just a pinch, not a lot. But because what? Because it's only 30 milliliters of water, what ends up happening? Even that pinch turns the water salty and bitter. Do you get what I'm saying? Now imagine, imagine instead of having 30 milliliters of water, you had like three liters of water. And you, you drop the same pinch of salt into it. What would the effect be? It's the same amount of salt. And yet the water will not turn. You won't experience the same bitterness and the same saltiness when you drink that water. He says the amount of water is analogous to your awareness of life your awareness of life. And let me give you an example to illustrate this. You ever seen a little kid that's uh, building something with Legos? You ever seen that? Like they're really like locked in. You ever notice that? Like they're just like focused and they're building this Lego and they don't even notice people walking around them and they're like zoned in building this little Lego house. Right? It's a big deal for them. They don't care what's happening. Uh, They're ignoring everything else. Now imagine... Imagine somebody comes along and breaks, God forbid, breaks that house of Lego. What does the kid do? Usually. If he's anything like I was when I was a kid. He throws one hell of a tantrum. It's like the end of the world. Do you get it? Now you are an adult. What are you thinking? You're sitting there watching this kid throw a tantrum over a broken Lego house. What are you thinking? Tell me, what are you thinking there? No one wants to sound insensitive, right? No one wants to sound, everyone wants to be like, oh no, we we feel the pain of the kid. You're thinking, come on, yo. It's Lego. You're not living in that house, number one. Number two, you could just rebuild it, right? Isn't that what you're thinking? You could rebuild it. It's not that deep. Why are you as an adult able to not be affected by that? Meanwhile, the child, it's like the end of the world. They could be in a bad mood for hours after that. What's the difference? For that little child, that house of Legos, right? The building of it, that was everything for them. You know, that's what they're focused on. That's what their awareness was. They're not thinking about... Imagine you try to talk the child out of it by saying what? Saying, hey, there's no need to cry over the broken Legos. Look, mashallah, Allah has given you a healthy body. And you're, you know, you're breathing. And you have ears that you can hear with. He's looking at you like, dude... That has nothing to do with my house of Legos. Why did you break it? Do you get it? The child's not able to, you know, appreciate the wider experience of life. To them all, to that child, all they can focus on is this one little narrow thing in life. This house of Lego. Do you get that? Now, if that happened to you, you're building some Lego house, Right? and it breaks, what, what happens? What do we, how do we usually p- calm ourselves down? If, if you even get a bit upset at all. What do we remind ourselves of? We step back and we say what? Qadrullah. If say it's not, it's not the end of the world, yo. I can just build it again. Or my time went to waste, sure. But hey man, like I still got a roof over my head. No, we, could, we, could, we as adults can take a step back and do what? Not zone in, like zoom in. We can kind of zoom out. And remind ourselves of the wider lived experience we have. And what that means is we become aware of more things in our lives. Do you and it's a very powerful thing. That's why like, even gratitude. You ever had the idea of like counter-blessings? Step back from whatever calamity and difficulty you're in. And just remind yourself that, hey man, life is hard, but alhamdulillah, at least I still got a roof over my head. I still have food on the table. You know what I mean? Like, I'm still relatively healthy. Do you get what I'm saying? So you step back, what do you do? You draw awareness to the wider life that you're living and all the beautiful things that you're enjoying. Right? You wake up in the morning, you still, I still get to see the, the sunset. I still get to hear the birds chirp. Do you get what I'm saying here? You open yourself up to to a wider range of experiences. That's the idea of increasing the amount of water you have. So that when the difficulties of life, the pinch of salt is dropped into your life, you have a huge amount of water that can, you know, dilute the effect of that salt. But imagine, let's go back to that example of somebody whose only focus is their job, right? before work they're thinking about it, during, after, always just job, their job. What ends up happening if, if something happens in their job? They could be devastated. They could actually really, really suffer. Why? Because, you know like that kid throwing a tantrum? This would be an adult having a breakdown. What about all the other blessings they still have? But they're not aware of them. Do you get it? They're not even aware of them the child that they have at home, that's such a blessing to have in their life. They don't even realize that. Because all they can focus on and think of, all they're aware of, is their job. Do you see that? Now imagine if that person who lost their job, God forbid, is able to step back and open up themselves to a wider range of experiences. They recognize that no, it's not the end of the world. There's still, mashallah, so much more to my world But if that's all you can focus on, then yes, losing it is the end of your world because that's all you're experiencing of your world. Do you get that? The value of being able to open yourself up and just be more present and aware of the blessings you have. And you need to be able to, you need to do that every single day, by the way. do You know why? Because you don't know when the next drop of salt will be dropped into your, into your water. Do you understand what I'm saying? To wake up in the morning, and just take five minutes to say, SubhanAllah, I'm so blessed. Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, I think as uh, Osama Cannon, he would say, um, Rahmatullahi Alayhi, that I'm too blessed to be stressed. Do you get what I'm saying? Like my life, SubhanAllah, I'm too blessed to be stressed. I, I have so much awareness of the blessings of God in my life, that no amount of salt will completely, you know, turn it bitter and salty. And I think that's a beautiful thing to be able to develop. Now, Siegel in his book on, on awareness, he talks about how how might you do that. And so he talks about what he what he terms and coins the wheel of awareness. And he uses this example of a, you know, like a bike, bike a bicycle tire. So at the core, at the, like at the center, you have uh, I, should have, I, should, I should have searched this up. Tube. What's it called? Tube. Is that a tube there? The tire? No, not in the tire. At the center of, you know, all the spokes that go out towards the tire, and there's something in the middle. What's that called? Axle. Axle? There you go. Right? An axle. It had to be the motorcycle driver, right? A <laughs> rider, sorry. Is it a driver? You guys drive or ride, ride right? I'm really exposing my ignorance right now, mashallah. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Um, So, the axle. He says, imagine your axle as your consciousness. And the spokes, you know the spokes that go out to the tire? They are like your ability to turn your attention towards things. Those things would be things on the tire. And so he says, imagine your awareness like what? Like a spotlight. So he says, you know, like, sit down. You know, take a deep breath and start by just becoming aware of your physical, you know, five senses. What do you smell right now? What do you hear? Now, in this moment, as we're sitting here listening to me talk, it's not exactly, uh, mashallah, exciting, right? But imagine you did this outside. Imagine you did this outside. SubhanAllah, like there's probably sounds that we totally miss on a daily basis. The sounds of birds chirping, right? Like crickets, but we don't hear it. Because we're just so in our own world, do you get it? We're not attuned to what's happening around us. There's a book, it's called When Breath Becomes Air. Anyone heard of this book? When Breath Becomes Air. Yeah, mashallah, you gotta make sure you know that book, right? Um, So it's a really interesting book about a Stanford uh, neurosurgeon who ultimately developed brain cancer. So the very guy who used to operate on people's brain cancer, developed brain cancer and became the patient. And he writes, he's very literary mashallah. so he writes about his experience both as a surgeon, but then also as the patient who has to listen to a surgeon. And it's such a fascinating book, he ended up passing away. But he talks about, like he, he fought it multiple times. Like he, he you know, cancer, he did the chemo. But then it would come back. And he said the one time where eventually they couldn't fight it no more. Like the doctors and the surgeons said, that's it. Um, we're not able to do anything for you. I remember this reading this and it was just so profound. He, says, he's like, he talks about his last time going to the hospital and to hand in his scrubs. And he talks about pulling up to the, at the hospital, getting out of his car and he says, for the first time I noticed the wind blowing on my face. And I heard the the birds chirping and I thought to myself every time I park my car here have I been missing these sounds have I been totally oblivious to the wind on my face but do you get what I'm saying like because he thought this was my last time at this hospital he becomes so attentive to everything you don't want to you want to catch everything it's your last time so you want to pay attention to everything so he starts noticing things that he never noticed Right? How many of us will come out and totally miss the skies? There's a beautiful sun sunset and we totally miss it because we're just obsessed about getting in our car so that we can go wherever we need to go. We're not aware of the wider. We don't take a deep breath. Do you get what I'm saying? And it, it's an active process in the life that we live. That's so chaotic and hectic where you kind of sometimes feel like you're forced to just jump to the next thing in your schedule. The ability to, just at the beginning of the day, take five minutes and really ground yourself. So he says, start with your sensations, your five senses. What are you smelling? What are you feeling? You know, like, what do you see around you? Notice like carpet, notice this. You you ever had the odd, the awkward experience where you walk somewhere, you've been many times, you say, is that new? And they're like, it's been there for three years. And you're like, oh, okay. Like I just, I didn't even notice. Do you know what I'm talking about? For some reason, sometimes you just happen to notice something after so long. So which means you can miss it the whole time. Alright? And so... How many of you have heard of the experiment with the the gorilla that comes running into the middle? In psychology, you ever heard of this? The idea of selective attention? Siegel talks about that a lot as well. Because we can direct our attention. And in the process of directing our attention, we can totally miss important things. And that's where the idea of being able to zoom out. So he talks about that too. He talks about... Training yourself to be able to focus on things, but also training yourself to be able to kind of diffuse your focus. You know, to be able to just take it all in. Like, imagine in the moment right now, you try to take the whole room in. Because maybe you're focused on me, and then when someone beside you talks to you, you focus on them. And then you hear a noise over there, so you focus on that. And so the whole time, your attention's very focused. He says you need to train yourself to also be able to diffuse your focus. To be able to sit back and kind of take it all in. Do you get what I'm saying? You need to be able to do that at night time if you want to fall asleep. That's an important aspect of falling asleep. If you're too focused at night as you're thinking obsessively about something, it can be very hard to fall asleep. And so actively to train yourself to be able to diffuse your thought. You can even begin to like visually imagine yourself kind of sinking into the void. Does that sound a bit weird? You can try it out. I mean, it works for me, but I don't know about y'all. Like if you want to visually try to imagine something of diffused focus. And finally, he says, so he says, start with your senses, then turn to your bodily sensations. Do I have pain anywhere? Right? Do I have pain anywhere? Am I feeling a bit stiff somewhere? it's very interesting how we can go on with our lives not realizing how stiff we are. You ever done done that? Like you just went through your life, mashaAllah, until someone, for whatever reason, had you stretch, and you're like, oh my God, I can't. like super stiff. But you never noticed it, right? Because you just never paused to think like, where is there stiffness in my body? Where is the tension? And you'd be very surprised how your muscles can tense up without you even realizing it. Until you kind of focus on like, which, which muscle in my body is tense right now? To bring your attention to it and relax it. To do that before going to sleep. Huge thing to do before going to sleep. Because you could be very stressed as you're thinking about something the next day or the past day and you're stressed about it. So your body will tense up. And so part of your, uh, your, 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 your strategy to get rid of focusing too much on your thoughts is to bring your attention to your body and say, okay, wait, let me actively, you know, regulate my, my emotions and my stress levels. Let me notice where I'm starting to feel tense. Okay, let me calm it down. Let me breathe. Focus on my breathing. The whole idea is controlling your focus and not letting it become too obsessed about certain thoughts. But it takes training. It really takes training. So Siegel talks about doing this every single day. Taking out five minutes, ten minutes. You know, and, then, and then you want to eventually start thinking about your thoughts. What thoughts are coming to my mind? Not what am I actively thinking about. But what thoughts seem to come unwelcome? You ever had the idea of don't think of an elephant and you just thought of an elephant? But the idea of trying to repel a thought only brings it back. Do you get that? And so sometimes we're like, I need to go to sleep. I need to get this five hours in, I need to sleep right now. And so you're stressed about not sleeping. And then your stress about not sleeping keeps you awake. And you're like, oh my God. Another half hour, I'm still awake. And like, you're stressing your way into not sleeping. And you keep thinking about the thing and it increases your stress. Do you get that? It's very interesting how the human being can be subject to unwanted thoughts, unwanted influence from within. And so, to be bring your attention to that. And then ultimately, he says, the ability to really in- integrate it all. And so this is something you want to look at. To develop an awareness of what you're feeling. Of what you're thinking. Of currently what's happening around you. To just be more aware. So you can be more calm. So you can see things clearly. So you can react in a way that you know is the best way to react. Not to just react on impulse. Does that make sense? Y'all get where I'm coming from about this point? Okay. Now I want to just shift quickly to the idea of once you're able to understand how you are feeling you can begin to more accurately make sense of how others are feeling do you understand have you ever had someone come up to you that's stressed and then their stress rubs off on you and you begin to feel stressed and then that person looks at you and goes why are you so stressed and you're like bro I was doing fine until you walked up with your stress they're like no 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 you're you're stressed and you're like I don't even know what to say here. That person doesn't realize that their own state affected your state. Do you get that? It happens a lot. If you're a parent, it happens a lot. You know when your children get all worked up? It's so natural as a parent to become worked up. And that's where parents need to learn to regulate and not let the child's emotions dominate them, but their own state of calm dominate the child. You understand that the idea that you just overwhelm your child with your calmness they're just so worked up but seeing how calm you are they can't help but be like i guess it's not that serious because you're not getting all hyped up so it's probably not that serious but imagine when the child sees the parent freaking out they're like oh this is this is this terrible you know what i mean and that's why you can't have as a as a parent you can't also be freaking out you have to be the one that's calm but it takes training it's, it's not easy, I'm telling you right now. Especially when you're worried about your child. And you're like, you know like your child's close to the edge of something? Where they might get harmed, like if they fall off or something, what do, you, what, do people, what do people start doing? They start freaking out. But that freaks the child out. Do you understand? And the child starts freaking out like I don't know what to do and they start panicking and then, then the likelihood of actually whatever we don't want to happen, that, the likelihood of that happening increases. Imagine the parent recognizes, in this moment, the best, the best approach is not to freak out, because that's only going to cause the child to freak out. The parent recognizes, let me be calm, so that I can kind of walk the child through what to do. Can you stop right there? Just stop. Look at me. Okay, now walk towards me. The child's like, okay, nothing's, you know. the child's not panicking, because they're just like, okay, this parent's telling me what to do, and the parent, and the child does it. Do you get the difference there? Your own state will affect others. And if you don't realize what your state is, you will affect others and think that that's how they are. You will bring your stress to somebody and be like, I don't know why this person's stressed. It's like, it's because you brought it to them, dude. If you were calm, you probably wouldn't induce that stress within them. Do you get that? And so, to use your understanding of your state to begin to understand other people's states. SubhanAllah, this is is an ajeeb thing that human beings can do. You know, people who've experienced a lot of pain, they are sensitive, extremely usually, sensitive to other people's pain. Why? Because they know what it's like. Have you ever seen somebody go through something difficult, experience the difficulty and the pain of that difficulty, And because of that, they become the greatest advocate. They become a huge advocate for the removal of that difficulty. You know what I'm talking about? Someone struggles with mental health, so what do they do? They become a huge mental health advocate. Why? It's natural, it's natural. You can understand the pain that people went through, because you went through it. So you don't want anybody to go through it. Do you understand what I'm trying to say here? Meanwhile, somebody who's never struggled with mental health is like, yo, what's the big deal? Man, like everybody's got trauma nowadays. You ever heard that? Oh, everybody's got trauma. Like what is this? What are we just, everybody's got problems? And, and, and so they, they don't understand. They can't appreciate the struggle because subhanAllah, they've been saved from it. And that's ajeeb because it actually leads to a lack of sympathy and empathy. Because they haven't suffered. They can't even imagine what it's like to suffer. Do you get it? And so those who go through difficulty, subhanAllah, they're often gifted with an incredible ability to be very closely attuned to the people around them and what they're feeling. Provided they've done some work on themselves to regulate their own emotions. And so it really helps us connect. You can begin to even read people. You can read their, their posture. You can read their, their eyes. You ever had someone like that? Who the moment they see you, Parents become very good at this, a lot of them. They just see you and they say, what's wrong? And you're trying to hide it like nothing. And they're like, no, 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 what's wrong? You can hide it from like everybody else, but your, your, your mom or your dad, they see it and they know it. Or you have a friend like that who says, don't lie to me. No matter what mask you put on, they see through the mask. Because maybe they have that ability to see it in someone's eyes, to see it in their words, to see it in their posture, to see it in their facial expressions. And you want to have that. Because you want to know what the people around you are going through, so you can be there for them. The Prophet ﷺ was like that. In one hadith, he tells his wife Aisha radiallahu anha, he tells her, "Oh Aisha, I know when you're upset with me." Meaning what? He knows when she's experiencing some right feeling of upset. He notices it. You ever heard the? You ever you ever seen the, the, heard the stereotype? Or the wife's like, I'm not gonna talk to him today, so he knows I'm angry. And he's like, What? He's like, yo, man, it's mad peaceful today. Do <laughs> you know you ever heard that stereotype? Like, you're totally unattuned. You have no idea what she's going through. The Prophet ﷺ says, Oh, Aisha, I know when you're angry. She's like, How can you tell? And look, he notices he pays attention to her words. Like which words she's using. That's also something to note. He says, he says when you take an oath, when you're upset with me, like, when, you're, when you're happy with me, you know, when you take an oath, you say, by the Lord of Muhammad. You know, like, wallahi, by the Lord of Muhammad, whatever. Right? He says, but when you're upset with me, you say, by the Lord of Ibrahim. <laughs> and she's like, I only abandon your name. Meaning, as for my love for you, it remains the same. That's a hella romantic line in hadith. Wallahi! It's a hella romantic line. She says, I only abandon your name. Meaning my love for you remains the same, I'm just changing the name, that's all it is. But The point is what? He noticed when she was upset. Right? Honey, what's wrong? Nothing. Well, I guess nothing's wrong. He walks off. You know what I'm saying? Totally unattuned. That's not prophetic. The Prophet could sense when people were upset. He comes into the house of Anas bin Malik radiallahu an, the brother of Anas bin Malik, his bird passed away. Bird, not like... And, and this is a lesson for some of us who have a friend whose pet passed away. And you're like, dude, are you crying over a pet? Just go buy another one. You ever heard that one? Just go buy another one. It's not a human being. You ever heard that? That's insensitive. That's not understanding what that pet means to that person. The Prophet ﷺ comes in the house and I know you got like a lot of stuff on your plate and mashallah and you guys are really busy and you know important people, but there was nobody more important and busy than the Prophet ﷺ. and he comes in the house and he sees this child is upset and he says, and he recognizes, oh, that the bird has passed away. So he comes to him and he says, Ya Aba Umayr, ma ghayr? He says, oh child, what's happened to your little bird? I mean, acknowledging that it's passed away and acknowledging that he's upset, he's sad. Do you notice when a child in your family is upset? Or you're like, oh, he's always, they're always moody. They're, they're teenagers, you know, they're always moody. Right? Imam Zaid, you know what he says? He says, the, the one who said that, the one who invented the terrible twos never had a 12-year-old. The one who invented the term terrible twos Never had a 12-year-old man because 12-year-olds, mashallah, right? It's a whole nother mood. So the idea is what? The idea is that to be attuned to the people around you, using your own understanding of what you would experience. That's very prophetic, to know how people are feeling. Now, it also helps us predict what would be the best behavior to deal with, how to deal with them. You ever have some you ever you have a friend who always says the wrong things at the wrong time? Tries to make a joke at a funeral or something, and you're like, dude, not the time, not the time, don't say it. Like walks in the room and everybody's all like tense because there's some really bad news. Dude walks in, yo, and he's like all hyped. You're like, dude, no, that's not it. Don't don't say it. Just doesn't realize oh, what's going on? What's happening? You are like totally out. He doesn't walk in and try to read the room first. You know what I'm talking about? You have people like that, right? The ability to read people and understand them helps you then read the situation and go, okay, what's the best response here? And, and the best response is always that which uplifts others. That's why the Prophet wasallam in one hadith, it's a beautiful hadith, narrated by Imam al-Bayhaqi in his Shu'abul iman He narrates that, it's mentioned, one companion narrates that, a man came into the gathering of the Prophet wasallam, And the Prophet alaihi wasallam made some space for him. But there already was space. Do you get it? Like there wasn't some shortage of space that the Prophet ﷺ needed to free up some space for him. It's like somebody coming and sitting right here. You see how much space there is right there? It's plenty of space. But imagine Jackson sees that and kind of shifts. He just shifts, you know like you know like you know sometimes you just shift to like acknowledge. The man said, in the film majlisi la Oh Prophet of Allah, there's plenty of space here. Like I don't, You don't have to shift. And he said it's from the right of a believer that others make space for them and ensure that there's space and acknowledge their presence. SubhanAllah. He was not making space literally because the space was there. But he was making sure that the person's presence was felt. That we notice you. Do you get that? And that's so powerful. The Quran talks about this. Imagine the book revealed by Allah for the guidance of humanity. Allah says in that book, O oh, you who believe. Like you're expecting what? When you read the Quran, you're expecting what? Day of judgment, paradise, hell, prophets. Allah says, when it is told to you, make space in a gathering. Make sure you make space. Allah will make space for you in paradise. Is it that deep? Do you understand? To make space for somebody, is it that deep? Absolutely. Because when you make space for them, you make space for them in your heart. And they feel it. They feel that I'm, I'm acknowledged here. It's so powerful. Many of you can remember when someone remembered your name and you're like, oh my God, you remember me. Or when someone acknowledges your presence, hey, thanks for coming, and you're like, hey, you know, like somebody noticed me, you feel good. There's a famous hadith, how, how many of you have heard of this hadith of Ka'b bin Malik? Ka'b bin Malik and the, and the few Sahaba who missed, on, they missed it on a battle, the Battle of Tabuk. And then the Prophet ﷺ and the companions didn't speak to them for 50 days. He narrates at the end of that, after 50 days when Allah revealed, okay, now the companions are allowed to speak to you. Ka'ab bin Malik says, when I came to the gathering where the companions were to finally talk to them, because they weren't allowed to speak to me for 50 days until then, he says, the only one who stood up to greet me was Talhatu ibn Ubaydillah." He says, I didn't forget the fact that when I showed up, he stood up and he gave, embraced me, welcomed me back. He's like, he's the only one who stood up. He says, I still remember it till today. We're human beings, right? We appreciate when people appreciate us. And so being able to understand others helps us express that appreciation. Do you get it? You know sometimes you're feeling down, but you don't tell anybody, right? You don't tell anybody for whatever reason. But subhanAllah someone notices. How does that make you feel? You're like, wow, thank you for noticing. Like, I really appreciate that you were so attentive towards me that you noticed my pain. Do you get what I'm saying here? This is so important. Of uplifting other people. Ours is a religion of love. And I want you to to think with me for a moment. There's a famous hadith where the Prophet said, You won't enter paradise until you believe. You have iman. That much makes sense, right? Everybody, everyone, that makes sense to you? To go to paradise, you have to have iman. Everyone's like, yeah, that makes sense. Now what does he say? But you won't have Iman until you love one another. Hold up. What's love got to do with it? What do you mean? Like, wait. To go to paradise, I gotta have Iman. Okay, Iman. Let me go pray, let me fast, let me go for hajj, let me do my worship. Like, that's it, right? And he says, no, you won't have Iman until you love one another. Uh, What does it have to do with anything? But subhanallah. This is what our deen is. A deen of love, of connecting with other people. Do you get it? Our deen definitely has an aspect that's personal. You're going to have to answer for your own prayers and for your own fasting, right? Everybody's on their own journey. Everyone will go in the grave by themselves and have to answer. That's true. But there's a communal aspect where you look out for other people. You uplift them. Do you get what I'm saying here? And sometimes we overlook that. You know, know, especially when we overlook it, when life's good for us. So life's good for me, I don't have to worry about nobody else. Our deen teaches us, if life is good for you, help those who, for whom life isn't that great. That's the teaching of zakat. Oh, you got a lot of money? Oh, share with those who don't have. Oh, you're emotionally stable? Be there for those who are struggling emotionally. Do you get what I'm saying here? This is the teaching of our deen. We really need two things, very, very... Like, strongly nowadays. We need to increase in our love for one another. And the Prophet ﷺ taught us that too. Look at that. He says, Shall I tell you how to increase your love? Say salam. Spread salam. Spread peace. That could be obviously understood as say assalamu alaikum to people, but also make people feel at peace. Isn't that one of the most beautiful things to be around somebody? That you just feel totally not judged. You just feel totally accepted. It's a beautiful thing. Make people feel at peace. So we really need that, that love. And we really need service to each other, to be there in the service of one another. Because that's really how we connect and build community. All that happens when we understand ourselves and we're attuned to the needs of those around us. And so may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us Tawfiq, to really work on our own sense of awareness and use that to be a means of uplifting others by understanding their states as well. أمين يا رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على سيدنا ولكل وجهة هو مولئها فاستبقوا الخيرات أينما تكونوا يأتي بكم الله جميعا إن الله على كل شيء قدير